beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. Well, hello. Church at the Red Door, family and friends. Hey, thank you for joining us here this morning. We, uh, we're just honored that you're with us. Uh, it's a privilege to bring you our Sunday morning broadcast. And uh, hey, listen, you know, Pastor Jeff is uh, in the, uh, still in the book of Luke, and he's finishing up today on Temptation Toolkit number four. So this, is, this would be a great one to get your Bibles out, get ready as he concludes where we started looking at the temptations of Jesus and how we can battle and handle our temptations that are just like His. And looking at what Jesus did, and we can look at Scripture and the Word of God uh, to show us how to come against and battle uh, the temptations from the adversary. All right, and, um, and as we know, the Word of God is, as Jeff talks about, is the sword, uh, the sword of the Spirit. So. Friends, uh, please get ready for Pastor Jeff. And I also want to just uh, remind you, you know, we're doing Wednesday night living rooms right now in the living room. That's our Wednesday night broadcast. It's called The Living Room. We uh, would love for you to join us every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Pacific time. And that's coming up this Wednesday night. Pastor Paul brings us a message every Wednesday evening. Along with, we get some updates from uh, our ministries. And uh, this is a great time also to find out a bit more about what Church at the Red Door is up during this pandemic time, all right? Uh, also, during uh, the broadcast today and Jeff's message, uh, we're going to be introducing Blair and Chrissy Armstrong to read scripture. So would you please welcome them when they join us here this morning in just a few minutes. Now I'm going to keep this one short this morning so we can move on into some worship time and to Pastor Jeff's message. Uh, I'll just open us in prayer and then we'll head right into worship. All right. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we come to you once again just to give you honor and praise this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for this time that we can come together as a family, even though it be virtually, Lord, to hear your word, Lord, I pray this morning that your word would go forth and it would transform hearts, Lord, that it would accomplish what you've designed it to do, Lord. And uh, Father, we pray for Pastor Jeff. We pray, Father, that you would anoint him, that the words that he speaks, Father, uh, by the Holy Spirit, Lord, would go forth. Uh, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for all those friends and family that joined us. And we praise and honor you. We give you great praise, Lord, and we pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. All right, friends, join me now in some worship time. Thank you. God bless.
Jesus. So let me go down. 
Appreciate that, uh, my friend, and uh, hello. Good morning, Church at the Red Door. Hope you're doing well. Hope you had a fantastic week. We are going to finish this little uh, sidebar here that we've taken out of our tour through the Gospel of Luke, and we've been talking about the temptations of Jesus, and, and we've gone into pretty specific detail on how we might actually battle temptation. Uh, before I do, I was uh, I was in process of working through a study, uh, a midweek study, with some men, and we came across Proverbs chapter 25 uh, this last week, 28, and I thought it fit perfectly into where we are. It's going to give us another reason. In other words, why fight temptation? I mean, aren't we saved by grace through faith? And you know, everybody makes mistakes and everybody sin. I mean, that is one of the great temptations is that, you know, nobody's perfect and uh, it can just kind of give you this false sense of security that you can kind of just slip into passivity as it relates to temptation. And, and as we see, uh, it, it can deeply, deeply affect our fruitfulness, relationships, cause pain in our lives and cause pain in others. But there's a particular passage in Proverbs chapter 25, and I want to read that for you this morning, just as another thought as it relates to uh, this why. Why? Why battle this temptation? It's just so difficult. I mean, why do it? Uh, I want to read verse 28 of Proverbs 25. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Now, other translations say just has no self-control. Has no self-control. You know, if you go back in Israel's history after the Babylonian captivity and leading up then into the rebuilding of the temple, uh, one of the guys that emerges as on the pages of the Old Testament is a, is a man named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah had a calling to go back and rebuild these walls. Now listen to, listen to his heart. And I got to be honest with you folks, this is something that drives me. I mean, I've been doing ministry long enough and many of on our pastoral staff as well and not only are we vigilant in our own lives, but when we look out and we see especially new believers or people who aren't finishing well or people who are struggling with temptation, uh, it breaks our hearts. It shatters us. It, it you know, uh, sheep that have gone astray. I mean, it calls all of us, not just 
uh, it, me too. I mean, sheep that have gone astray and it breaks my heart when you start to see the walls of their lives metaphorically broken down, the gates, the, the walls broken down and open to attack. I mean, that's really what we're talking about. There are folks who will actually battle and recognize that they are raging in a battle and then obviously others who are just not cognizant of the fact that they're even in a battle. And again, we have another rich metaphor in scripture that in, in fact what we have is walls that are completely down. You are open game for the enemy when you don't know how to uh, use your shield of faith and battle with the sword of the spirit, which is what we're going to continue in this morning. Listen to Nehemiah's heart here in verse two, in verse two, uh, excuse me, three, and it says, and they said to me, the remnant there in the province, now some had not gone into captivity, they had remained in the province, uh, they are there and they survived the captivity, but they're in great distress and reproach and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. In other words, they could see they were utterly vulnerable. They had no symbols of security in their lives. The prophets weren't there. The, the, the leadership was no longer in place. Uh, they didn't have the instruction. You know, when you look at the word Torah, the first five books of, of the Bible, uh, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, uh, we often translate that as law, but in fact, Torah or Torah just means instruction. Uh, there's nothing guiding. There's no vision through the prophets. There's no sense of destiny in people's lives. And as a result, their, wall, their walls are torn down. These are, these are things that stabilize us, that give us real security and build our walls back up. And listen to the heart of Nehemiah when he saw these walls torn down. And I think it's probably reflective of my heart at various points. I know there are a number of people right now that I know that I'm praying for and I know their walls are just demolished and they're open game for any kind of concept or idea philosophy that would raise itself up against the knowledge of God. I know the end result. I know the pain that they are going to suffer, that they're going to inflict on others. I know the years of fruitlessness that rest in front of them, that are in front of them, not having walls. And it breaks my heart. And I, and you know, and so those are actively, I'm actively engaged in prayer for those people that they're Again, this is a rich metaphor that those walls would be built back up. Listen to Nehemiah's heart in verse 4. And it came about when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to the prayer and then in verse 7, he says, We've acted corruptly. We've not kept your commandments nor your statutes or ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. In other words, he's like, we have to return. We have to return to the instruction. It's just breaking my heart. It's uh, There's no self-control here. The walls are broken down. They're open game. Uh, the enemy is attacking. They have no defense strategy and certainly no offensive strategy either. And some of them don't even know the walls are down. You know how many people in our culture today, the walls have completely been torn around them. They're open to every assault. can be uh, witchcraft. I mean, you wouldn't say that normally, but look at even in the last 10 years, all the witchcraft and new age and paranormal and all this other stuff, people are so fascinated with the occult. 
walls being broken down, sexual boundaries just being exploded through, and, and, and imagining that in some way that's going to give them liberty. I love John Dixon's quote where he says, we must understand that the instruction for life, the whole message of this life that it says in the book of Acts, uh, you got to understand this is a pathway out of enslavement to the transitory. We want liberty, but in fact, we find ourselves in bondage. You know, when you think about the law or the instruction, if you see it as a wall to protect rather than a wall to hold you in, it'll completely, absolutely revolutionize the way you think about the Bible. You won't think of it as being restrictive and holding you back from a life of liberty and contentment. You'll see it as actually protection, as these places of security that actually guide you into not only eternal life and fruitfulness in this life, but just joy and shalom and peace. And so, again, I wanted to restate, when we're going through these verses, you just have to have it in your mind that this is here for my benefit and the benefit of those that I love and around me and ultimately my fruitfulness before the Lord. Okay, are you with me? Okay, so now what we're going to do is we're going to turn and we're going to go into some of these subcategories of throne grabbing where I left you last week and we're going to look this morning uh, at these concluding subcategories and the first one is fear. Okay, so fear. Fear, it plagues people. You say, well, why would fear be a function of throne grabbing? Well, again, when we grab the throne, we realize we don't have the sovereignty, that we're not omnipotent, we're not all-powerful, we don't have the ability to control events and so now I've, I've grabbed a throne of which I have no power to execute on it. I've taken a position in the cosmos, in my own life and in the lives of others. I've grabbed the throne of my life and I really don't have any ability to, uh, to, to superintend what's going on around me. And that often leads to fear. One of, my, one of my verses that I have on a little sticky note right on my computer, I look at it virtually every day, 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 7. But you be strong and don't lose courage. There is reward in your work. This is actually a conversation uh, relating to the, uh, the reign of Asa, one of the kings of Israel. So when you look at this, be strong, do not lose courage. There is reward in your work. Again, uh, grab your sword, battle back. You know, just kind of what we looked at last week, stand firm, Paul's admonition to the Corinthians. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. We're going to really work through these verses. And like I said last week, these are available to you at churchattheredddoor.com. You can download all of these verses that are involved in this four-week kind of sidebar we've been taking as it relates to the temptation toolkit. And uh, now 1 John chapter 4, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. There is no fear in love. You can quote that, quote it all the time. There is no fear in love. If I, if I proceed forth and I know that the love of God is there and he, he loves me, I don't have to fear his wrath. I don't have to fear. Their perfect love casts out fear. And again, one of those things that you may need to grab on and fight with, and again, in the imagination and uh, your mind, it works. You know, we have 50,000 plus thoughts per day. I mean, just thousands and thousands of thoughts, fleeting thoughts that go here and there. Are they random? Are they, do they have stickiness to you? 
Satan's attacks? Are they going in? Are you so grounded in the word? Are your walls and gates built up so uh, mightily that you have all kinds? It's very difficult to penetrate uh, your mind because you are so set on the things above and not on the things on the earth. 2 Timothy 1.7 is probably a verse that uh, is one of my top 10 for sure. Uh, many of you know the story. Uh, I was terrified of public speaking when I was in college and high school and I had failed in a play. I told, told you this story before. And uh, I quoted this verse. To this day, I quote this verse all the time. For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of love and power and a sound mind. I mean, I can't, I, thousands, I, probably thousands of times I have battled with that verse. Every time something overtakes me and I begin to cower in fear, it's a picture of me grabbing the throne. I, I'm not, he's not on the throne. When he's on the throne, I have nothing to fear. And, and he, by the way, he's not even given me a spirit of fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And I just have to quote that and quote that. Here, what has God given you this morning? Well, if, again, if you're born again, if you have the seed of God dwelling in you and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, let me be clear. You have love and power and a sound mind. You say, well, I don't feel like I have a sound mind. Just quote it and quote it and quote it and quote it and never stop quoting it. And all of a sudden it'll reconstruct. And I think that, again, as I've told you, there are physiological things that happen when we are dedicated to, to having our mind dwelling on what God says about reality, and it's coupled with this deep sense of this is true. This is actually true, and you begin to believe into it, and it'll, it'll change your destiny, and potentially your children and your grandchildren and your spouse and your friends and your workplace or wherever. I mean, it has a powerful, powerful influence. Psalm 23, many of you know the 23rd Psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, and you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I had a conversation with a precious woman this week who just a few days ago lost her husband to COVID here in the valley, and uh, still just pretty much in shock. And I, I encouraged her. I said, just go and just dwell in the 23rd Psalm. I said, these are going to be some very challenging days for you over the, over the coming months, but live into what God says live into. Let him form. Let the word form your thoughts and your pictures in your mind. Don't let Satan come and say, well, it's not worth it anymore. There's no reason to live anymore. Uh, you might as well take your own. I mean, whatever it is, Satan will come at you from every direction. You have to, again, battle this fear. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. I love all these, be strong, right? I need it. I guess I'm just kind of a a wimp sometimes because I, I need these verses. Come on, Jeff, be strong and be courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. The Lord God is with you wherever you go. Do you feel isolated like God's a million miles away? It's just not Bible. If you're born again, God is right there. He's living on the inside of you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Be strong, be courageous. Don't tremble, don't be in fear. I am with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9, quote it. Think about it. Let it roll through your imagination, through your thoughts. Speak it out loud. There's power in that. Psalm 118, verse 6 through 7. The Lord is for me. I mean, just quote that. The Lord is for me. Here you go. Battle. The Lord is for me. No, he's not. You, you don't understand. You're, you're a million miles away from him. He's so displeased with you. He, he, you, you fail and fail. What? No, no. It, for it is written, the Lord is 
for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. I'm not, I'm not concerned. Yeah, there are assaults that are coming against me, people who despise me. It's okay. Why? It is written, the Lord is for me. I will not fear. You know, this gets us into the fear of man. Uh, Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man, again, this is a top 10 for me. I've told you many times I have struggled through the years just to, I, I, the opinions of men have meant too much to me. And it, even to this day, I, it, this is something I battle with. The fear of man, man's opinions, man's thoughts, man's, and yeah, maybe somebody coming against me. I think in the 21st century, most of the people who are listening to this are not going to say, I've got people that are actively trying to kill me. Not like David had or, or running from Saul or some of these uh, Semitic communities back in that time where you never know who was going to come over the hill. And if you had an unwalled village, boy, you were in big trouble. Uh, you didn't have GPS systems and satellite and all this kind of stuff. You never know what was around the corner. I don't think it's really specifically talking about that. I think the fear of man is just the fear of men's opinions and, and ultimately what they could do to you through their, through their slander or other things. But he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. The fear of man brings a snare. I want you, I hadn't intended originally to do this, it's not, uh, but I want to take you now to Isaiah chapter 51. I, I love this. I, I think this is so powerful. Um, it, just, it, it just absolutely grabs me when I, when I look at this Isaiah 51 passage. And it's God speaking. Listen to what, listen to what he says in verse 12. In verse 10, he's already said, he's talking to obviously Israel, but now we're grafted into Israel. I've ransomed you. I'm singing over you, all this. And then verse 12 says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. And I catch this. Who are you? Who are you that you're afraid of man who dies or the son of man who's made like the grass? I just, I think that is so powerful. I, I have to quote that to myself. This is God speaking. Who are you, Jeff? Who are you that you're afraid of man who dies? In other words, who do you think you are? Are you sitting on the throne now and then assessing the fact that you don't have the power to orchestrate everybody's lives and to control your own destiny? You, you realize how powerless you are? Who are you that you would fear man who dies? Or the son of man who's like the grass? Here today, gone tomorrow. Who are you? Who do you think you are? Get down off the throne. Put me back on the throne. And when I'm enthroned in your heart, the very center of who you are, and it becomes apparent, this fear is just going to melt away. Who are you that you fear man? Who are you? Who are you? God's saying, who are you? Who do you think? Get off the throne. Put me back on the throne of your life. Now I'm going to have uh, some of our precious friends, uh, Blair and Chrissy Armstrong. Uh, haven't seen them in a long time, like m the vast majority of you. Uh, and they are going to read now uh, Romans chapter 8, 38 and 39. And uh, man, I miss you, you Armstrong family. And I uh, can't wait to see you. So take it away, Blair and Chrissy. Good morning, Church at the Red Door family. Happy Sunday. I hope that you had a great, great week. We are honored to be bringing your scripture reading this morning. Uh, if you do not know me, my name is Blair Armstrong. <laughs> to my left, your right, is my wife, Chrissy Armstrong. 
Hello everybody, we sure miss you all and can't wait to get back and uh, see you all hopefully sooner than later. It's been a long year and we've missed you all very, very much. Today I will be reading Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Pastor Jeff and Church of the Red Door family. We are absolutely honored to have this opportunity uh, mm -hmm. to bring you scripture today. Again, we hope that you have a great Sunday. We hope that you're healthy, but most of all, we hope that you're thriving. God bless. Have a great week. God bless you, everybody. Stay healthy, stay happy, stay strong. We love you. Bye-bye. Now, did you catch that? Thanks, Blair and Chrissy. I, we, we can't wait to see you soon. Can't wait to see you soon. Did you catch that? I'm convinced death, life, principal, nothing's able to separate us. Nothing. Okay, have you quoted that? Do you feel the, you know, wow, are you terrified? Like a death is terrifying to you? I mean, nobody wants to die, but you got to realize that death is never going to separate us from what? Well, it's going to never separate from the very love of God in Christ. Principalities, these, these forces that are battling and tempting you, they're, they're never going to separate you from the love of God. Have you, I mean, can you think deeply about that? Nothing is going to separate you from the love of God. Paul's very clear. And then lastly, Philippians chapter 4. This is, again, this is, I, I don't know, this is probably one of the top 10 most quoted verses in all the Bible, I would think, if somebody has a handle accurately, be anxious for nothing but by prayer and supplication. Uh, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, so Paul is saying just don't be anxious, relax. I mean, you had, this is, man, this is battle this is battle stuff right here. I mean, this verse, be anxious for nothing, but but don't be anxious. So it's not just saying don't be anxious. It's saying be anxious for nothing, but by prayer, uh-huh, right? Uh, prayer and supplication, just spending time before the Lord as a supplicant with thanksgiving, always an attitude of thanksgiving, make your requests known to God and peace eventually will come. May not come overnight, may not come in that exact moment, but just keep quoting it, keep battling that. And that despair and depression and discouragement that we looked at again last week. Okay, now I want to move to the next subcategory that uh, is just merely vanity. I have two verses for you here. Uh, what is vanity? Vanity is vanity is just so such an uh, an overt uh, turning the mirror on yourself, always looking at yourself in the mirror in a sense uh, to try to you know just that the beauty and the vanity of life. And so uh, Proverbs chapter 31, verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Okay, so we get this juxtaposition here. But a woman who fears the Lord, she, she in the end will be praised. I mean, you can see that in our culture, can't you? I mean, you know, I, I'll never forget the, a very close relationship I had very early. This is years ago, decades ago. And uh, the, I had met the very first European male model ever signed here in the United States by the Ford Agency. We became very good friends. He actually introduced me, most of my connections in Europe to, to this day. I mean, other than COVID, I'm, I'm in Europe a couple times a year. 
And, and a, a lot of those connections came through this one guy, the very first one. And he had married uh, a runway model. She's like six feet tall and all this, super kind of supermodel type person. They, they were from Europe. And, uh, and, and her name, I won't give you her name, but anyway, uh, you know, she, she was, man, I, she was unbelievable. But then, you know, as, as time went on, uh, they fought and they battled and they divorced and this and she ended up, uh, dying in bed, a cigarette slipped out of her mouth, smoking in bed and her life kind of collapsed around her. And I mean, all the beauty, I mean, it was years, years. She'd been years from being, you know, the, the one that walked in the room and every head turned. Every head turned. And then I, and then I think of my own, I have my own precious grandmother, right? She was not a runway model. She's about that tall. Uh, she, was, she was precious. I mean, she was unbelievable. And, and, and she, she died early at about 72. She had a heart attack. And, I, and I'll never forget as long as I live. I mean, I don't know. There's hundreds and hundreds of people showed up at her memorial. Who is she? I mean, she lived in this little tiny town, Leveland, Texas. This little tiny town out in the middle of nowhere. And hundreds of people showed up. Why? Because she was such a servant heart. And it was nothing but praise. I mean, she, she did Sunday school and she sewed for people. And she constantly, constantly just allowing God to take over her life. And, and, and I look at that verse and I go, that is true. I mean, I give this juxtaposition to this, this dear friend of mine who was a you know, runway model in Europe. And then the next thing I know is my grandmother. I mean, it couldn't be any further apart. I mean, she's precious, my grandmother. She's praised. And, the, and this kind of ignominious end to the life of my, of my friend over here. This is true. Cultivate those deep things in the heart. Quote this. If you're, if you're so sucked into just the way you look, there's nothing wrong with dressing and being right and taking care of your hair and showering and being healthy and all, eating right. Nothing wrong with any of that. But it can't be your central focus. It's got to be the cultivation of a, of a precious heart before the Lord is infinitely more important than how you would look on the external. The, the, it, it, man, it goes fast. It goes fast. I had a birthday this last week. It's going fast. Some of you can say amen. Each year is a, is a smaller and smaller fragment of my life. And uh, we, all, we all have experienced that. And then 1 Samuel 16, 7, God doesn't look at the external. He looks at the heart. Listen to this. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance, speaking of David, or at the height of his stature, because I, I have, excuse me, Saul. He's speaking of Saul here. Saul was a head taller than anybody else. And and the Bible says he was a good-looking guy. Says, don't pay attention to that, God's saying. I've rejected him, for God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but again, but the Lord looks at the center of who you are. So use these. If you're tempted towards this just uh, overt uh, attention given to the external at, at, while you exclude the cultivation of the internal, uh, then use these verses in battle. It's deceitful, it's deceitful, but the one who what? The woman who fears the Lord, the focus. Fear just means focus. The one who focuses and is riveted on the things above, on the king, on him being enthroned on the, on, in our hearts. As we focus on him, that, well, that will be praise, okay? And then next subcategory, gossip, slander, abusive language, probably uh, nothing more appropriate in our, than this, all the political discourse. And everybody's talking about it. 
Everybody has this having this conversation. I mean, it has gotten so abusive and so slanderous. Both sides of the aisle, fight, 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 politically, and it and it bleeds over into our culture. And now we just got everybody. Everybody's so offended all the time, and they feel so justified. Everybody feels like they have the moral high ground, and they just battle and battle with these slanderous words. Listen, that will not bring you shalom. Yes, injustices have to be confronted. This is not about just Pollyannish kind of those three monkeys, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. No, it's not about that. But it can be done in a judicious way, in a careful, gentle, beautiful way. Not just throwing out every opinion that happens to run across the radar or the screen of your mind. You just can't, you can't go that way. And it is not Christ-like. Let's say it again. Those capital riots, as I spoke to a few weeks ago, it is not Christ-like. It's not the way we roll. It's not, it's not what happens. This is, again, in this kingdom that we're talking about, this slanderous, abusive language does not exist. We can confront evil when we see it. We can call a spade a spade, but we do it in a, with generosity of spirit. And if you find yourself drifting into uh, this other black, dark hole of slanderous speech, use these verses and it will help you. Okay, 2 Timothy 2.16. Now, just listen to this. Avoid worldly and empty chatter. It will lead to further ungodliness. That's exactly what happened at Capitol Hill. And again, I'm not justifying. I, I was just as frustrated uh, with the other side, the entire, you know, just constant slander and accusation and, and everything on both sides. I just saw it on both sides in the extreme but it will lead to further ungodliness. Empty chatter, worldly conversations, avoid them. Paul couldn't be more clear to Timothy. Timothy, I want you to be fruitful, man. I, I want you to live a life that glorifies God. Avoid this like the plague. It will lead to further ungodliness. And that's exactly what we, uh, what we saw a few weeks ago. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. I, this, guys, this is clear. I mean, I, I know we feel justified sometimes, and righteously so, when we get engaged in this verbal assault uh, in the political realm or otherwise. It just is not representative of the heart of Jesus for you. Can't be more clear. I know this leads to all kinds of scenarios that could be unpacked and say, what about this and what about this? At its core, listen to the words. Paul, in his, in the, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. That's building somebody up, the structures of their life. If your words are sent to demolish, then that if, if you're talking about spiritual forces in heavenly places, go for it. Pray it. Believe it. Speak to it. But if you're talking about an individual who's enslaved by one of those spiritual forces, then that is not what we speak. We speak to edify, to build up according to the need of the moment. These are a word spoken in season. Oh, it's beautiful. What a precious thing. Words in season spoken to me at times I did not deserve it have changed the course of my life so that it will give grace, grace unmerited. That's part of what grace is. It's unmerited. We want to give grace to people. 
I didn't deserve it. They don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. That's why he's on the throne. Don't grab the throne back. Don't yield to the temptation of abusive speech and slander because you feel justified in your heart. You miss the spirit of what? Edifying, building up, and extending grace back out into a hurting world. Proverbs 10 verse 18. If you conceal hatred, uh, he who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. Again, I, I'm doing a long study, midweek study for years. Actually, we've been over three years in Proverbs. And you always get this position between wisdom and the proverbial fool. And a, a fool is just a slanderous person, someone who just goes off, just speaks whatever's on their mind. Very little filter and never done in generosity of spirit. Not looking to edify, looking to make their claim, their position. As justified in their mind as they may feel, they are slanderous. Be cautious, be cautious. Proverbs eleven thirteen: He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals the matter. Fight with that. If you've got that temptation to just start, you know, telling stuff out of school, stop, quote that verse, battle with it. Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse man spe spreads strife and a slanderer separates intimate friends. How many relationships have been broken up because somebody intervened? Look, relationships, as I alluded to last week, it's the oil that keeps us together, folks. It's the grace. It's extending mercy when we fail. When we fail, not if we fail. Well, he's done me so wrong so many times it's over. She's done me so wrong I'm not, you know, I heard she said, he said, somebody comes to you and that, well, he said this about you. Can I just tell you, I'm asking you, I don't want to know what people say about me. Don't, 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 right? It, it, it's an attack in my own mind. Well, somebody said this about you, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, I, it creates an offense and I have to battle. You're, what you're doing is you're throwing me into the lion's den when you do that. If you hear people speaking slander about me, pray for them. But don't bring it to me. I don't want to know about it. And I don't want to do that for you either. I don't want to do that for you either. It can separate intimate friends. There are going to be people who are my friends who say things about me, right? And maybe justifiably so. But don't tell me about it. I don't need to know about it. I got enough stuff going on today that I don't need to be separated by an offense because I may not know the context. It may be third hand. It may, who knows what it is. Don't do it. Don't do it. Psalm 141 verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. It is written, Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Set a guard over my mouth. What a prayer. If you got nothing, if you get nothing else from this morning, this prayer right now, Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Please, Jesus, set a guard over my mouth. Don't let me be a proverbial fool. Don't let me be a slander. Don't let me separate intimate friends. It's not your kingdom. It'll never produce fruit. It'll only produce death. What about the temptation to highly regard worldly wisdom, philosophy, speculations? You know, we, we, we tend to always the expert, the expert, the expert. And then if they espouse something, it could be a theoretical physicist. Well, he's got, a, he's got all kinds of postgraduate degrees that I, I mean, I could never argue with them. Look, if they're arguing with the Bible, 
And I'm, I'm talking about every interpretive view because there's some funny interpretive views about this book and there have been for 2,000 years. So I'm not defending everything, every interpretive view. But when there is a clear, clear departure from that, I don't, I don't need to highly regard this. Listen to Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Confirmation to the world is not just the appetites of the world. It's also the philosophies of the world. Here's what the world says about this. And then I know it's in conflict, but that, you know, that's an old book. I mean, that's, some of this is 3,500 years old. I mean, who can really, we're, we're modern people. Laura and I were uh, just, I watched a little portion of this, uh, it's an old movie, Tom, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, uh, Far and Away. And I remember a scene where she's there and they've come to America and she came from great wealth and, and she says, I just, I just want to be modern. I want to be modern. I don't want to be like these old fuddy days. We all want to be up to date, but not at the risk of departing universal truth that God has revealed in his word. And then secondly, 1 Corinthians 3.20, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. And again, this wisdom, I think he's saying, you know, tongue in cheek, worldly wisdom, and God knows the reasonings and how they think and perceive, and they can argue away that God, and they can, that, look, like I've said many times, the people are going to see Jesus is going to come back, every knee bow, every tongue confess, it'll become gloriously apparent or terrifyingly apparent to some that all the reasonings and all the talk and all the you know dismissing God, no creator, no de- no design, no no nothing, just how we came out of nothing, we came from nothing, we are nothing, we mean nothing, we're just animalistic at our core, uh, just random chaos that just happens to have uh, an appearance of something, consciousness, and all this, and all of a sudden it'll become blazingly apparent in that moment. All the reasonings of the wise are foolish. Quote that if you're if you're seduced by the siren song of those who would say there is no God. What does the Bible say? Those who say there is no gods are there is no God. They are fools. It is the fool who says in his heart there is no creator. There is no God. Does that offend you? How can you do that generously and sweetly? Well, that would be the first thing I say. I'd meet some guy and I want him to. No, Jesus, I might do it third person. I'm just going to go up and you're a fool. I'm just going to quote the Bible. Just quote it, you know. No, I want to do this with grace. I want to do something that's going to lead somebody to build them up. But yeah, they're going to need to know that some of their reasonings have been a million miles away from reality. And then the, and then I want to go here, stinking pride. We're going to now winding this down. Pride, okay, Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way, the perverted mouth. I just hate it. Pride again, throne grabbing. I'm going to sit on the throne. It's going to be me. These are the very, it's a very per, the very reason for which Satan fell. Thus Satan fell in the beginning. The adversary. Why he became the adversary? Because he said, "I'm going to be like God. I will." He exerted his will, and it's just pride. Philippians two three. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as what? As more important than yourselves. I mean, I have quoted that a million times. You know, a lot of times what's said of very successful, maybe entrepreneurs or uh, intelligent, you know, very uh, 
people who've amassed a lot of money, sometimes it's said about them at, at, you know, after their life, he can't or she couldn't suffer a fool. The follower of Jesus suffers fools. And we reach out to them in grace and humility. And we consider them even more important than ourselves. That is, you talk about antithetical to the world, spirit of the world today. If you got an idiot, they're, they're an idiot. And then you fall into the temptation of slander. Ah, what an idiot. What a fool. I don't, get him out of here. Get him out of my presence. What a, what a, what a horrible, horrible person this is. What a, what a weak, miserable, you know. And maybe they are. But that's not how we proceed. That is not how we roll. In the kingdom, we consider others more important than ourselves. If we just got that too this morning, wow. Consider, it is written, consider others more important than yourselves. With humility of mind, regard others as more important uh, than yourselves. And then uh, lastly this morning, the spirit of exclusivity or exclusiveness, okay? Uh, this especially, for those of you who are online community, we live in Palm Springs area. I mean, this is an area that's defined by celebrity. I mean, our very place where we meet, we haven't met for almost a year now, which has been a tragedy, uh, but it's right there on Frank Sinatra. And, and uh, you know, all of our streets are named after people, the Rat Pack, who spent a lot of time in the Palm Springs area, kind of the Celebrityville. And so people come from Hollywood and L.A. and they get away. You remember Rain Man, you know, he, it, when Tom Cruise's character, they wanted to get away from the weekend. Where do they go? You see the windmills. They're headed to Palm Springs. So we're kind of built on this exclusive, this notion of exclusivity. It's great if you can belong to a club that's very exclusive, uh, that keeps other people out. Well, there's nothing wrong with penetrating those places, but in the end, that's not God's heart is exclusivity. It's inclusivity. Proverbs 21, 24, proud, haughty, scoffer are his names who acts with insolent pride. You know, we, we walk around haughty and, mm, you know. I mean, yeah, everybody has that stereotype in their mind, you know. The big fancy car and the big, you know, Palm Springs looking, you know, glasses and everything, walking with a chin up and, you know, get out of my way. Kind of an attitude that people have about the, you know, the one percenters or whatever that is. Be cautious not to be part of a crowd that is so exclusive that you can't, uh, you know, we, we serve the least. We consider others more important than ourselves uh, at all times. And so that's just part of the kingdom ethos. Luke 16, 15, he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men, well, it's detestable in the sight of God. God hates exclusivity. He loves unity, he loves community, he loves reaching to the least, he loves considering others more important than yourselves. That's just how the kingdom operates. And uh, yeah, it's challenging. It's challenging. Romans 12, 16. Finally, in closing, be of the same mind towards one another. Don't be haughty in your mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Some of you have done that because you've associated with me. Associate with the lowly. I've never built a big business or done anything, you know, extraordinary in the world. Failed tour player, you know. I mean, I've, I'm, a, I'm a low guy. Some of you have done that and haven't been exclusively. If You've invited me into your worlds, and, and for that I'm very grateful. I want to turn and, and do the same. I, I constantly want to be considering others, again, more important. Not this exclusivity, 
class system, socioeconomic, uh, socioeconomic separation, uh, the caste system. I mean, you go back and watch some of these older movies, you'll always see, boy, it was really defined. And right now we're in an upheaval, right? The world is like, that's just wrong. And But what happens is man is just gonna flip it. So if you were up here and down here, they wanna flip it and have them be up here and down here. It's Some of that's not even done out of the right spirit. It's not about equality. It's about it's about rule, and we want a throne grab in our efforts at exclusivity. Okay, so in summary, where do we, where do we, where does this leave us as it relates to the temptations of Jesus? And what have we learned? Well, we've learned an approach to temptation. Number one, pray. Jesus said that you won't fall into temptation. Pray. Are you constantly vigilant about your walls and your gates up around your life? Are you? into the Torah, uh, the instruction, the, the writings? Are you, do you have people in your life? Are there people who you, you know, kind of submit to in terms of leaders? Uh, are there, and again, that's a bad word in our culture, but are there people that you consider, these are people that help me. Remember in the kingdom, it's upside down. The greatest among you will be your servant. So are there people that you've allowed to serve you and help you? Or is there a vision for your life? Are you, are you deeply involved daily with your daily bread? And are you praying, are you praying that you won't fall into temptation? Number one, pray. Lord Jesus, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one, the adversary, the slanderer. <clears throat> Number two, do you have faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Put your shield up. It's a defensive tool. Faith in and of itself will block many of these flaming missiles that come at you. Your shield of faith comes by hearing. So hear the word and hear it often. It'll build your faith. Hopefully this morning you'll walk away and go, that really built my faith. I'm, I'm strengthened. I could feel my walls being erected in my life. I, I feel more secure in because of my faith is, is growing. And then lastly, obviously, where we've been these last four weeks, sword, right? Go on the tack. End this. Have you got a temptation today? Are you being tempted? End it. Don't just protect against it like we talked about in week two. Don't just shield it. Okay, it's gone and then block it and then go on the attack. End it. There is process here. End this temptation. And it may, you may get to a point where Satan just doesn't even come at you in this way anymore because you have triumphed in Christ and you've battled in this area of your life and it no longer really serves as a temptation. Now, I'm not, again, Pollyannish in this. I have areas of my life, you know, Paul was very clear, take heed while you stand lest you fall. But there are areas of my life that have come and I would say I've had substantive transformation by praying, by shielding with my faith, and then by ending it with a sword, okay? So let's, let's catch it early. Let's be aware that we're in a battle, for heaven's sakes, and truly for the kingdom's sake, right? Let's catch it early. Let's, uh, let's do it and let's not be brutally indifferent. Let's go after it right now and know that it leads to death. And then lastly, these two verses I'm going to leave you with this morning in summary of how we go about fighting temptation. James 1, 14 and 15. Each one is tempted. How? When he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. And when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, 
It always brings forth death. So how are we tempted? We're tempted when we're just carried away by things. I got to have it. I, if I don't have that, I'm not going to be happy. All right? I've been living in uh, Psalm 16 all week. I told some men this week. Psalm 16. I've just been living in it. In your presence is fullness of joy. All these other things, they're, they're great. I appreciate the fact that I have food, you know, and covering over my head. I'm well provided for. I'm, I have relative health right now, certainly to where I was a few years ago. I'm very thankful. But if I, if, if I lose all that again, I want to be in a place where I don't, I don't see anything that I look out and I go, if I don't have that, I'll never survive. If I, if I lose my money, if I lose my, you know, whatever, if it's vanity, pride, position, anything, there's nothing in this world except for losing one thing. If I lose Christ, I lose everything. But I can lose everything and have Christ, and trust me, I have everything. So don't be enticed. Don't be enticed and then carry it away. So we've got to catch it early. That's what I want you to get this morning. Don't let this thing just kind of run around and then maybe down the road you'll confront it. Do it today. End it. Use the sword. Use these verses we've been going over these last few weeks. End it, my friends. I don't want to be like Nehemiah and go, oh, I'm weeping and mourning and fasting because I look out at your life. I don't want to look out at your life and see walls that are down and gates that are demolished. I want to see strong, fortified souls, easily capable of battling the adversary. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, in closing, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful. Remember, it's not just about your ability. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted Beyond what you are able. Do you feel like you're going through something this morning that says, well, you don't understand. I mean, this is, this is powerful. Well, I'm just telling you right now, Paul is telling the Corinthians, wait a minute. He's not going to put anything in front of you that you're not capable of battling. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. You say, well, I can't endure this. You don't understand what I'm going through. You can't. I, I, maybe I don't. Maybe I don't understand what you're going through. But there's some things I may be going through that you can't possibly fathom. But I cling right here to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. There is no temptation. It's all common to people. What you're going through, it's, it's appetites, it's shiny things, it's, it's throne grabbing. It's all those things. It's just common to man. This is just natural. Battle it, catch it early. And why? Well, it glorifies Jesus. Bring shalom to your life and those around you. And ultimately, ultimately, it's going to make you as fruitful as you can possibly be to glorify Jesus in the earth. All right, I, I hope this has been helpful. I love you. We love you at Church at the Red Door. Hope you saw this last week. You were part of the Wednesday. We've got a, another three or four weeks left uh, with our living room, our Wednesday evening. Paul and did a great job, Pastor Paul and all those that are involved, giving you some insight into what's going on in the church. A lot going on, as Paul alluded to this last week, and Randy, uh, a lot going on in the church, even though we're not able to physically meet yet, but I'm believing that it's coming. So pray for those. I number in our congregation have COVID. Uh, again, we've lost somebody recently. Uh, our hearts break for you. We are with you. We're standing with you. But again, friends, we love you. Can't wait to gather soon. And I'll see you again next Sunday. God bless you. I cast my mind to Calvary.
Shall return in a row. 